In this episode, I want to talk about why conspiracy theories can actually lead Christians into sin. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. Two episodes ago, I discussed a very popular conspiracy theory in America today, which is that idea of QAnon. This idea that there's this big worldwide conspiracy of Hollywood elites and leading Democratic politicians who are trying to control the world or are involved in some kind of Satan-worshipping sex trafficking ring. And while that topic is important for today, it doesn't cover everything that I think we need to consider when it comes to conspiracy theories. You know, I was able to dig into some of the specifics of what that particular theory believes and why, as Christians, we need to be careful of it because it preys on our lack of biblical understanding or biblical literacy or however you want to say it. But, you know, my main point of that episode was it's easier to fall for people misusing the Bible if we are spiritually immature. And so the big point I tried to drive towards was that as Christians, we need to be spiritually mature so that we can spot false teaching of any kind, whether it comes from people outside the church or even people inside the church who are using a Bible to support what they're saying. We need to be able to think critically and biblically in order to better understand and break down and even defend ourselves against beliefs like that. And so I guess what today's episode is going to be is how I personally do that, or how we as Christians can apply that to kind of any conspiracy theory that may come up. Because over the next few years, I suspect that QAnon will stop being so mainstream, stop being so popular with Christians as it loses steam. But when it dies, something else is going to come along, because we are always going to have conspiracy theories with us. And as we'll see, there's a very good reason for that. So what I want to do today is really just dig into how do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, understand God's Word and apply it to how we think about and respond to or even invest in these ideas of things happening with these big faceless groups that we can't prove but we really think is happening, or we feel like we have proof for, but it's basically just hearsay. You know, how do we, as believers— Make sure that we are honoring God and bringing glory to him above all else as we are trying to understand the world around us and in our search for truth. So in this episode, I'm going to have kind of three main parts that I'm going to be tackling. The first thing I want to talk about is what does the Bible say about conspiracy theories? The second part will be why are we as human beings with sin natures drawn towards them? What is it about them that is so attractive to us? And then I'm going to end really just talking about taking conspiracy theories and the gospel. You know, if we, if we realize that conspiracy theories are leading us into sin or that we have bought into them because of our sinfulness and our sin nature, what do we do then? How do we stop? How do we kind of course correct? So, as I said, the first thing I want to talk about is what does the Bible itself say about conspiracy theories? 
And now if you're sitting there and saying, well, nothing, you're right, but not totally. Of course, God's word is not a rule book where it says, turn to page 743, paragraph two, to see what God says about conspiracy theories. But instead, what we can do is by understanding the nature of conspiracy theories and how they affect us and how we use them, we can actually see, I believe, two areas in God's word that really warns us against getting involved with them. Now, the first area I want to look is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Now, it says, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. So now what's really interesting about this passage is that it takes place basically immediately after Paul's greeting to Timothy. So as soon as Paul kind of lays the groundwork of, hey, Timothy, he just jumps right in to kind of correcting a problem at this church that Timothy was at. And what seems to be happening is that you had a group of people who were getting swept up into some kind of belief or teaching that wasn't just wrong, but it was actually detracting from their walk with Jesus Christ. And we see that if we see that Paul is here basically laying out two groups of people or, or two paths that people can follow. He's saying you have this one group of people who are getting into strange doctrines or teachings. They're paying attention to myths and endless genealogies. And those things are giving rise to mere speculation. And then he contrasts that by saying, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. And so here we have a group of people who is buying into some belief. And if we're honest, if we're studying and applying the Bible well, we're, we can honestly say we don't fully know what these teachings were. We have some good guesses, but we don't fully know what this whole endless genealogies thing was. Were they saying that they were more valuable because of what their heritage was? Was there some weird belief about how a certain bloodline would continue on in the future? We're really not sure. We know that there was something more than just paperwork involved because it talks about these myths and endless genealogies and that these are strange doctrines. So we know that people aren't just arguing necessarily about family trees, but somehow applying a, a spiritual or a political, some kind of worldview component to what they were discussing. And Paul points out that the huge problem with this isn't even just what they're talking about, but the fact that it's detracting from the more important things in their Christian walk. And then he goes on to remind Timothy that the goal of their instruction, talking about, you know, kind of a, from a pastoral mindset, is to is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So saying that, again, these things are in contrast to what these men may be even trying to pull Timothy himself into, saying that these beliefs that people were buying into are the opposite of love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So he's telling Timothy, reject these things and instead further the administration of God. Keep teaching, keep preaching the word. And then Paul goes on to say, again, for some men straying from these things, 
again, the idea of love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. And then he goes on to say, you know, they want to teach, but don't even know what they're teaching about. And so here again, Paul is making that clear line. He's saying that these people are getting caught up in discussions. They have 24 hours in a day. They have so many breaths that they're going to breathe within this lifetime. And instead of using that limited time they have for the furtherance of the gospel, for the building of the kingdom of God, they're instead going to fruitless discussion, things that occupy their time but have no value and may have even been dividing the church to a degree. And so as we really think about what's happening here, we can start to see that what was happening in this church is the same thing that happens with conspiracy theories for us today. Because conspiracy theories aren't just an idea for most people. There may be some people who would see things like the JFK assassination or Elvis being an alien and say, oh, you know, yeah, that's that's a, a clever idea. But for most people, when they really get invested in conspiracy theories, they're not just these ideas that they have. They actually become part of a person's worldview. They affect a person's life and they affect their beliefs. They affect what they focus on and talk about and think about. And really how they interpret the rest of the world is filtered through this idea that there's a bigger truth out there, that people are hiding things, that there's a big cover up and things like that. And as we're seeing today, there's even divisions that get created within the body of Christ. Again, going back to QAnon, there are Christians who are kind of becoming combative with one another. And, you know, you have Christians who believe in this QAnon thing saying, you know, oh, you're a sheep, you're blinded, you need to see the truth and things like that. And it's causing division within Christianity. And now, of course, there are things worth dividing over. Absolutely, right? Because we can't just all hold hands, sing kumbaya, and try to hide from controversy or correction or things like that. But we need to divide over things that matter, things that are fruitful to debate and discuss. And conspiracy theories are never that. Instead, this idea that there's this hidden truth that we can't prove, but some guy who works security at the Pentagon happened upon some documents that didn't get shredded and he couldn't take pictures of it, but he's telling the truth because he really saw it. When we start making that part of our truth, then what we do is we start getting into strange teachings. We start paying attention to myths, things that aren't real, that seem like they could be real. They explain things, but there's no basis in reality. There's no evidence that we can actually follow. And so then what we do is we waste our time with mere speculation instead of focusing on things that matter. We turn aside to fruitless discussions. We debate things that are nonsensical. We set enemies within the church against us who don't believe in this paper-thin evidence that we want to believe. And so if you think about everything I just said, that's exactly what Paul's talking about, is he's correcting, he's condemning, he's rebuking these men of this church who were just getting involved with these beliefs that had no basis in Scripture and no basis in reality. But for some reason, this teaching, this belief system appealed to them. And rather than putting on a biblical worldview, rather than letting God's Word guide them and let their minds be set on God and then believing or rejecting truth based on that, for whatever reason, these teachings about endless genealogies and these myths that were coming into the church and were being melded 
with the gospel were appealing to these people. And Paul was saying, no, this can't stand. This can't happen. People can't just get distracted by these weird beliefs that come in because they sound good, especially when it's at the expense of the gospel, of holy living, of their walk with Jesus Christ. And so while what these men were believing may not be what we would even classify as conspiracy theories, that same idea is there, is that their, their minds and their lives were getting wrapped up in this belief. So when they would talk to people, they wouldn't talk to people about Jesus. They would talk to them about this teaching, this belief, this conspiracy theory, if we're going to apply it to today. When they would correct or rebuke people, you know, they would correct them out of not believing in this teaching. They would say, oh, how can you, how can you be a sheep? How can you not see the cover-up? How can you not follow the evidence? You know, why would you follow the media? Why would you listen to what they say and trust them? Don't you know they're against you? Don't you know they're controlled by this big international group that's just pulling the strings of everyone and, and things like that? You know, because even if a conspiracy theory can use the Bible to prove itself, ultimately what a conspiracy theory does is it becomes our passion and our obsession. We care about it, not the gospel. We, we want to focus and study and discuss and debate the truth of what the government's doing or what big pharma is doing or how the media is, you know, working with, you know, the Illuminati or whatever. That's what we want to focus on and talk about rather than the gospel. We want to convert people to our belief in the conspiracy, not in our belief of Jesus Christ and why we need him. You know, and then when we are with people, when we when we think about time best spent with people who believe what we believe, we want to be around people who will share our belief on the conspiracy and the shadow governments and all this stuff rather than surrounding ourselves with people who just want to talk about the glories of Jesus Christ that we have because of the blood he shed on the cross. And so conspiracy theories, just like what we're seeing in, in First Timothy here, become their own religion, their own way of life, their own belief systems. We want to convert people to the conspiracy theory and not to Jesus Christ. We waste time. We have discussions that are fruitless. We aren't focused on what's important. We're focused on just what is interesting to us. And so I think that's one way that God's word does actually warn us against conspiracy theories, not conspiracy theories themselves, but what they produce in our discussions, in what we share on Facebook or through text messages or what we send through email and things like that. Those things that we share with others and want to talk about and want to argue about show the state of our heart and what we're focused on. Now, another way that I see conspiracy theories talked about in the Bible, and I don't think a lot of people necessarily hit on this when they are warning about conspiracy theories, but I think it's important one to consider. And that is that conspiracy theories at the end of the day are just gossip. Now that might seem weird because we think of gossip as, you know, two people talking over a fence about, you know, what that their pastor is doing or talking about, you know, the neighbor down the street and how he's really a secret drug dealer or something like that. That's how we think of gossip. But that's a very limited view. That's a very it's a more practical view certainly because we are all tempted to really talk about others, make up lies, tear them down because it brings us a sick sense of pleasure or self-importance or power. So, but let's see what God's word actually has to say about gossip 
in a more broad sense, and then we're going to see how it surprisingly actually has a lot to do with conspiracy theories. So in 2 Corinthians 12.20, it says, For I am afraid that when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. So at a very basic level, we know that gossip is a danger for the Christian life, for the church itself. We see here some things that Paul was concerned that he would find in the church. And, you know, some of these things, you know, we see strife, you know, this this combativeness, jealousy, you know, seeing one person as more than another or feeling like we are entitled to something that we don't have. Angry tempers, we all know what that's about. You know, and then he talks about disputes and slanders, and then he go, talks about gossip. You know, so these are things that are destructive, not just to us personally, but to the body of Jesus Christ in general. Now, of course, what gossip is can be difficult to pin down. I remember growing up, um, I knew someone who believed that gossip was when you have two people standing very close together talking negatively about someone. You know, some people think that, you know, gossip is just talking about anyone when they're not there whatsoever. You know, people get very afraid of falling into gossip. And so they almost overcorrect and say, oh, well, you know, my pastor's not here, so I don't want to talk about how much I enjoyed his sermon or things like that. You know, things that are even building up another person, but we may feel uncomfortable talking about them because we feel like, well, if they're not here, we're talking behind their back. And so I just want to see just kind of some biblical foundations that we can lay that gives us a much better understanding of what gossip looks like. Because gossip is is kind of a broad topic, but there's some very specifics to it that we can focus on. So the first we find in James 4.11, says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. So we were warned against slander in 2 Corinthians 12.20 as separate from gossip, but I think that it is one of those things where just like we're warned against strife and angry tempers and disputes, those all three kind of work together. I think that slander and gossip works together uh, to create a single thing. So he says, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. So we see here that this idea of slandering is is basically tearing someone down, is speaking against them, is in a way condemning them and saying that they are wrong, they are evil, they are wicked, they are in sin. And of course, why we're saying that is important because, you know, we are also told in other parts of scripture, for example, to teach against false teachers. And so if I'm to say that, you know, for example, Joel Osteen is a false teacher or Creflo Dollar is a false teacher, And if I were to explain why, we might be concerned that, oh, that's slander because you're speaking negatively about that person. You know, you're you're judging them, which I have an article on what Christ means when he says don't judge one another, which I'll link in the show notes. But what's important to realize here is that slander isn't just speaking negatively about a person, but unjustly or incorrectly holding them to an unbiblical standard or falsely saying that they don't meet a biblical standard. In other words, we need to judge people based on God's word, because God's word is truth, and everything that we do and we believe needs to be judged by that. Similarly, other people need to be held up against it, so that no matter what they say or what their intentions might be, if they aren't lined up with God's word, 
we need to be very careful about them. And so in James here, it's talking about how basically this church, you know, if you read the beginning of James 4, you know, starting in verse 1, if you read it, you see that this church was just tearing each other down. They were constantly at each other's throats. They were doing whatever they could to bring another person down so that they could boost themselves up. And so when we're warned about slander here, it's not just speaking negatively, but speaking negatively with the attempt to tear someone down, to deem them as maybe unworthy of Jesus Christ or whatever it is that we are doing when we slander someone, what we're basically doing is just basically throwing mud at them just to make them dirty. We're not pointing out the dirt that they truly have in a way where we want to love them and pray for them and bring them to repentance or restore them. We're doing it just to hurt them, just to tear them down, just to feel good about hurting someone. Even if they don't hear it, we feel good attacking another human being, whether they're a brother and sister or whether they are still an enemy of God, we feel good when we talk negatively about another person, when we slander them. Um, another way that we see a bigger picture of gossip is in 1 Timothy 5.13. It says, At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. So here, Paul is correcting some women in this church who basically weren't being productive. They, he said, you know, he starts off by saying they learn to be idle. They learn to be unproductive, unuseful. And because they weren't, you know, like we see at the very beginning of this book, because they weren't working towards the kingdom of God, because they weren't focused on the gospel, they were falling into sin. And in this instance, their sin was gossip. They were getting involved in other people's lives. They were seeing someone do something or say something, and they were making up stories and creating entire scenarios about what was happening. And it says that they were even talking about things not proper to mention, which I assume is, you know, kind of sexual or just gross in nature. You know, they were being inappropriate with their talks. They were they were accusing people of certain things or maybe just talking about things that don't belong being shared outside of a bedroom or a doctor's office or whatever. You know, they were they were tearing one another down. They were they were ripping other people down simply because they were bored, because they had nothing better to do, because they weren't being productive. They were just getting involved in these idle discussions and these fruitless talks. And then I want to just capstone this discussion on gossip with Ephesians 4.29, which says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. And so here we see kind of the biggest issue of how we use our words and, and, you know, with the digital age, how we use our fingers to communicate with other people. The, the things that we choose to say to others, whether physically or whether digitally are important, how we use our words and our actions matter. And so, you know, gossip is effectively just bad and dangerous because it goes completely against what God wants us to see in that Ephesians passage. You know, gossip, when we, when we tear each other down, when we talk about things we shouldn't, when we accuse people of things that we have no proof or evidence for, that, that isn't wholesome talk. It's not a good, edifying statement that we make. We're not giving grace to those who hear it. Instead, when we gossip, we are being unwholesome, we're being unproductive, we're being ungodly in the things that we're saying. We're using our words 
in a way that is not bringing glory to God. We aren't edifying. You know, in other words, we're not building someone up. We're not encouraging them. We're tearing them down. We're discouraging them. You know, if if people understood how we thought about them and we were talking about them, you know, if they were standing right there, would they be built up? Would they feel loved and thought about and cared for? Or would they feel hurt and unjustly attacked? Because, again, it's not just a matter of making someone feel good, but are we saying things that are basically unjust? Is it Are we saying things that aren't right, that aren't in line with God's word? And then, again, when we gossip, we're not giving grace to those who hear. In fact, we're inviting others to sin with us. Because when we gossip, we say, hey, come join me in tearing this person down and thinking negatively about them and painting them in a way that is unfair. And let's make sure that they can't defend themselves against it. You know, let's just sit here in our own little circle and feel good about ourselves by tearing this other person down, by making ourselves feel more important because we aren't them. We are better than them. How can they do that? I'm glad we're not like that. And again, if we really think about what conspiracy theories do, we take a person or a group of people, because even if we're talking about the government or you know, the pharmaceutical companies or doctors or the media, we're not talking about just this faceless giant that's a, a living organism. We're talking about a group of human beings doing things. And so when we start saying, oh, the media is doing this, the government's doing this, these celebrities and politicians are worshiping Satan and are involved in this giant pedophile ring, what we're really saying is, I don't have proof for this. I, I can't find any evidence for it other than what other people have told me is true. And so I'm going to say that this is true about them. And so again, when we say the government is doing things, what we're saying is these human beings, because the government's not just an unlimited number of people, right? There are a countable number of people in the government. And so what we're saying is that this person, these people are out to get me. They are doing this terrible thing. And if we say, well, do you have proof? Well, no, I just know it. You know, I've, I've read on this website, you know, I saw this news article, someone shared with me, someone told me. And at the end of the day, that's all gossip is, is, oh, you know, my neighbor Maria is cheating on her husband. Well, how do you know that? Well, I saw a guy pull up to her house one day and then he went in and then left. Well, do you know who he was? Well, no, but it couldn't have been her brother because why would her brother be there? You know, we, we, we can concoct all these scenarios and we can even find very weak and implausible evidence to support what we believe. But ultimately, we don't have genuine proof, but we say that it's true because we want it to be. We love to gossip. And that's why we love conspiracy theories, because we can find a whole world full of people that will gossip right alongside us, you know, but... But when we accuse Hollywood celebrities, you know, when people are accusing, you know, Bill and Hillary Clinton of being involved in a Satan worshiping pedophile ring, what we need to realize is that if we don't have solid evidence, we're gossiping. We're in sin when we take part in those discussions because we are accusing people of doing things. We are slandering them. We are being busybodies. We aren't having good, productive discussions. We aren't talking about the gospel. We're not even focused on the gospel. We don't care. We want to feel good by saying that there's this shady, evil thing going on that we can't prove. We can't even remotely find good evidence for. All we primarily do is say, well, 
so-and-so said it, so I'm going to believe it. You know, that, that shouldn't be good enough for us in a very practical sense when it comes to gossip, right? Like me saying, you know, oh, my, my pastor is embezzling money from the church fund because another church member told me that. You know, if, if I shouldn't believe something so incredible just because someone said so, why would we apply that to a bigger sense and say, well, the celebrities, the government, the pharmaceutical companies, they're all doing this because someone said so or because someone has pieced together evidence that can't be verified, can't be proven, but I like it. And so I want to believe it and I'm going to spread it to others. You know, ultimately, when we do that, with gossip, with conspiracy theories, we're just, we're in sin. You know, just because something is bigger than us, right? Whether it's Hollywood celebrities or government or what have you, just because these things aren't within our immediate proximity doesn't mean that we somehow have new freedom to tear them down, to make up lies, to spread lies, to judge them based on very weak or non-existent evidence, because at the end of the day, gossip is gossip. It doesn't matter who it's against or who it's about. If we share it, if we spread it, if it dominates our conversations, we're gossiping and we're in sin. So that is two reasons why I believe people are going against God's word when they get into conspiracy theories. There may be more, but those are two big ones that I've personally seen as I've spoken to people and, and seen what people share and watch discussions. So now the question is, why? Why are conspiracy theories so attractive? Why do people want to even believe these things? Because typically, there's no fun conspiracy theories. There's no conspiracy theory that we believe that just makes us feel good and warm and fuzzy. Right? Like, like no one gets on the internet and starts sharing these, you know, unfounded articles about, oh, you know, the government is going to just forgive all our student loan debt, or... They're going to start National Cupcake Day, but they don't want anyone to know or something like that. You know, we, we don't share conspiracy theories that make us feel good. You know, most conspiracy theories are terrifying. They're awful. They make the world an even darker and more sinister place than we already think it is. So why do it? Why buy into it? And so, again, there's three big reasons that I have seen. And you may be able to come up with more or new ones, or you may even be able to add on to these. But this is just, whenever I'm talking to people, these are the three things I notice the most. Now, the first one is that conspiracy theories just feed our desire to fear things. Uh, with this whole COVID-19 thing, I got introduced to a new term, and it's called doom scrolling, where you're on a website or Facebook or like a, a discussion group, and you just keep scrolling along and just taking in all this terrible information, you know, stuff about, you know, all the death numbers or new people are sick or hospitals are at capacity or how uncontrollable the virus is or just whatever. You know, we, we, for some reason, love just taking in this information and just learning more and more terrible things. And given the choice between two different articles, you know, we're more likely to believe or want to read or share articles that are negative and scary instead of ones that are encouraging and positive because we are naturally suspicious of anything good, but we are more inclined to buy into or believe anything that is negative or bad. And so for whatever reason, you know, we, we love to live in fear. And I don't think this is isolated. I think this is part of my other two 
reasons of why people might get involved in conspiracy theories. But, you know, at a basic level, when it comes to just fear, we want to be afraid. We want things to be the worst they can be. You know, you think about what sort of news stories sell, why the media creates what they create. And here I'm talking about the media. But in general, people in the media, they know that if they want to make money, because ultimately they're primarily in the business of making money because it's a business. If there's money involved, people are going to want it. And so if you're in the media and you are trying to get the most eyeballs on your website, on your TV program, or listening to what you're saying, you want the stuff that sells. You know, just like in Hollywood, they say sex sells. Within the world of media, fear sells. Negativity sells. And so innately, people in this business, they understand that, you know, if, if we want to sell newspapers or get you know, eyes on our website or whatever, we need to give the people what they want. And what do the people want? They want fear. They want negativity. They want bad things. They want the world to be awful. You know, we could spend so much time digging into that because it's such a weird thing. You know, why do people want anxiety? Why do we want to be depressed? Why do we want to be afraid to walk out our door? You know, there's a lot to that. And it's, it's a hard answer because as human beings, we're just, we're very complex in our motivations and why we do what we do. But we just we can see that we love to fear and conspiracy theories give us the ultimate form of fear because it's not just, you know, there was a shooting down the street or there's a, a virus that's, you know, really hurting and, and killing off um, at risk populations and things like that. It's not that there's war brewing somewhere off in the distance. It's that everything we see, everything we know is wrong. It's controlled. It's being manipulated by these shady government characters or people within this weird religious organization or what have you. You know, it it takes all the negativity that we see in the news and online and see in the world itself, and it adds an even deeper level of fear to it. It adds even worse scenarios for us to imagine because everything bad, the wars, the virus, everything is being controlled by a group. It's not just, you know, sinful people living in a broken world. It's people are purposely making all of this happen and they're doing so from the safety of their little underground bunkers or whatever, you know, theory we're buying into. But we're saying that all this negativity, all the stuff that already scares us is even worse and we love it and we want it. So I think that's one reason why as sinful people, we want to be afraid. We want to not believe in the good. You know, we want to, to see God is not in control, that the world is chaos and is broken. And so we love conspiracy theories because they give us the most extreme version of that. Now, another reason, and I think this is a big one, and I think if you've, if you've ever been into conspiracy theories or if you know someone who is, this is going to make a lot of sense. And that is that these conspiracy theories give us a feeling of control. They make us feel that the world is scary, but we know why. And I say that because, you know, as, as I get older, as I really basically develop a stronger biblical worldview, as I grow in wisdom, and as I use all that to start off by first examining myself, I'm starting to realize that, you know, people who are labeled as control freaks are people who just struggle to hide what we truly are. I believe that at the end of the day, no matter how meek or passive a person is, they all crave control. All of us. We want control. You know, I mean, that's ultimately kind of what led humanity down the path that we're on in the first place, right? Adam and Eve, 
in their basic sense, they wanted control over what they could do. They didn't want to be told no. They didn't want to deny themselves. They wanted the ability to say yes or no. They wanted to say yes. They didn't want to say, well, God says no, but I kind of want it. I want to try it. I want to see what's up with this, this fruit of the tree of knowledge. You know, they, they didn't want to give up the control once they realized that they didn't have it. And as believers, and even when we were unbelievers, we know what that's like. We know what it is to say, I don't want to give God control. I don't want to submit. I don't want to surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ. You know, we lived our lives that way. And even after being given the Holy Spirit, being redeemed by the blood of Christ, we still have those times where we don't want to be, as Romans says, slaves to righteousness. We want our freedom. Now, of course, we don't realize that that freedom is actually just us being slaves to sin, right? Because there's really no such thing as freedom. We are a slave to someone, either to sin or to Jesus Christ. But we like that feeling of control. We like to feel as though we've got a good hold on things, that that we can you know, not just do what we want, but that we can also just grasp the world around us, that we can put it all in a box and give it a label and just feel like, aha, I get it, I can understand it, I can control it. And so, you know, even if we're trying to gain an understanding of something that we can't control, you know, for example, you know, I've talked to several people and one of their biggest struggles with God isn't the stuff that he does, but the stuff that they just don't understand. You know, why does God you know, love Jacob and hate Esau, as we see in Romans, you know, why would he order the killing of all these people groups? You know, why does God not answer my prayers? You know, these things about God that we don't understand, we struggle with, you know, when God says that his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, we understand it, I think, kind of intellectually, but we don't want to implement it into our lives, because what that means is that there are things about God that we have to trust without understanding. And we don't like that. So often, you know, I've talked on my blog about things like, you know, Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. And a big problem with them is that they diminish the glory of God because they they turn God into a being that they can understand fully. They can explain everything about him. And so, you know, I like to use the example that, you know, we are basically two-year-olds trying to understand why adults are doing what they're doing. You know, if you've ever been around children and you've told them no for something or you've asked them to brush their teeth or eat, you know, their healthy food and told them, no, you can't just have candy, they don't get it. They freak out. They, they don't understand why we're saying what we're saying. And no matter how rational we try to be with them, no matter how much we try to break it down to their level, there are certain things that two-year-olds just can't understand. And God is that same way with us. There are things that he can reveal to us that he can explain and try to help us understand in a limited capacity. But ultimately, there is so much about God that we aren't going to get. And yet what a lot of false religions do and what a lot of bad teachings about God do is they take him and they shove him in a box and say, I don't understand this about God, so I'm going to bring him down to a level where I can explain everything. I can rationalize it. I can be comfortable with what I'm believing. And so we drag God down and put him in a box. And as human beings, that's just natural for us. That's our sin nature at play. And we see this again with why conspiracy theories are so attractive, because what they do is they take the chaos and the unknown and the bigger things happening in the world, and they just condense them all and say, oh, well, I can just blame it on this. And so, you know, some examples are, you know, if, you know, with COVID-19 being what it is, you know, whatever your views on it, 
it's big and it's it's hitting the world. Either it's hitting the world physically because it's dangerous or it's hitting the world politically because people are, you know, using it as a way to gain an upper hand on their own political agendas. Whatever your beliefs are. There's a popular belief with COVID-19 and you may have heard the term plandemic. In other words, there's people who are saying that, you know, this COVID-19, it was created in a lab. It was manufactured and unleashed by a group of people with some kind of nefarious schemes, you know. And so even though the world has a history of our worst diseases originating from animals, people want to say, well, no, no, COVID-19 isn't just a result of a broken world and, you know, a virus just getting out. No, it was planned. It was, it's controlled by people. You know, there's an answer for where it came from. And so we like, and as you're going to see, we like having a target. We like to be able to blame someone for something. You know, we want to blame, you know, a shady group for the global pandemic and how governments are responding to it. We want to blame one president's victory or loss based on cheating or some kind of outside interference. We want to blame things like cancer on groups who are purposely making us sick so that they can boost medicine sales or things like that. You know, and we even see this spiritually. You know, people love to blame Satan for everything that happens in their life. You know, I was angry because Satan tempted me. I was late for church because Satan messed with my car. You know, we, we love to have an enemy and a target to explain these things that happen, you know, because we don't want to take personal responsibility. We don't want to recognize that we just kind of live in a world where, despite God being sovereign, Terrible things happen. Scary things happen. We don't want to realize that, you know, our car might be broken down because we've not been changing the oil. We, you know, slam on the gas pedal when we drive. You know, we, we have wear and tear on that car that we've had for 25 years. We don't want to say that, though. We want to say that, oh, I, I need to connect the dots. I need to see that, well, I was going to church and couldn't go to church. Therefore, there's a reason why I was specifically stopped from going to church instead of the grocery store or, you know, up the street to get gas or something like that. You know, everything that happens in our lives, we want an enemy. We want to blame someone or something. And the the more sinister and villainous our target can be, the more attractive it is. So, you know, things like COVID-19, things like natural disasters, you know, the tsunamis and stuff like that. You know, we can blame it on just what we would call natural evil. In other words, you know, the world was broken by sin and basically bad things happen because the world itself, the physical world, isn't operating like it was designed to because we messed it up and now we're living with those consequences. We don't want that to be the answer. That's simple. That's easy. Instead, we want to blame a shady group for manipulating things or we want to blame everything on something like global warming. You know, or we want to say, oh, well, you know, this city was wiped away because God was judging a particular sin of them. You know, if you remember when New Orleans, and you can tell I'm not from New Orleans based on how I pronounce it, but when, you know, New Orleans got hit by a natural disaster, rather than saying, you know, it was a natural disaster, it happens, oh, well, that's the city of sin and, and sex and all these terrible things, so God was judging them like Sodom and Gomorrah. But we're not consistent when our own church, you know, maybe gets flooded or our own homes get destroyed. You know, we say, oh, you know, some... You know, it's some other reason or or we'll finally admit that it's because God allowed it because natural disasters are just a part of living in this broken world. You know, but when we can try to find a way to blame it on something bigger, we want to. 
You know, and so ultimately we we don't like that the world is filled with pain and suffering and really confusion. You know, we we don't want to just kind of release that feeling of control and just say, I don't know why, but I know God has a plan. I know God allows it for his reasons. Instead, we want to find a way to maybe even get God off the hook and say, no, God wouldn't let it happen. It's these people. You know, God would never allow a, a pandemic to sweep the world. He would never allow a tsunami to just take out, you know, an entire city or a tornado to destroy a town. You know, there's there's a reason. There's a bigger reason. We have to explain it. And so, again, when we, we start with this need to fear, and then we want to explain that fear away. And so even though, you know, like I said, it makes us feel in control. We can't control things, right? Like us blaming, you know, COVID-19 on some kind of, you know, big cover-up or big conspiracy, you know, like right now people are saying that, oh, you know, the, the vaccine that they're developing is meant to control our minds and it's going to change your DNA and things like that. You know, that believing that doesn't make us feel in control of the situation. It doesn't let us do anything to change what COVID is doing to our world or what scientists think is the right thing for us to do in order to kind of negate the disaster of it. Instead, we can just put it in a box. We can hold it in our hands and say, okay, this is bad. I can't do anything about it, but I can tell you why it's happening. I can rest. I can I can have comfort in knowing that this, this world is so horrible and broken because of this enemy, this villain in the world who's out to get us all. You know, and it, it becomes this kind of, hero versus villain kind of mentality that, you know, we are these, you know, good people and we are victims because these, everyone's out to get us. You know, this person is manipulating things or this group is controlling things from the shadows. You know, we, we put it all in a box and it just feels good. And then finally, we see that conspiracy theories feed our pride. And, you know, as you study things like biblical counseling and just really get to know why people do what they do, you start to realize that ultimately almost everything we do just comes down to pride in some form or another. Entitlement, you know, anger, doubt, fear, you know, everything we do comes down ultimately to the root of just our pride manifesting itself in different ways. And with conspiracy theories, we see our pride really just on a huge display. So, you know, if you think about it, you know, when you see people or hear people talking about all these terrible things happening and how, you know, it's all these groups that no one else can see, think about the things that are said or the mentality behind the words being spoken. You know, a big thing is the media. You know, the masses are controlled by the media. Or, you know, people are sheep because they believe in one thing or they don't believe that the government is possibly doing this terrible thing. Or, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, there's this cover-up, there's this, all this going on in the background and they're trying to silence us, you know, and, and everyone else is just blind to it. You know, why do people say these things? Why do they constantly say, you know, everyone is being blinded and manipulated and controlled? Well, because everyone else is, except that person. They see through the lies. They see through it all. They have a higher level of knowledge and understanding and truth than the people around them. You know, they, they are, they're basically standing against a world of lies. You know, the, it's just them and those few people who have also been enlightened and seen the truth. You know, and so... While the rest of the world might be distracted by, you know, the shiny objects or the flashing lights, these are the people who have learned to look around and see the truth of what's really happening in the world. You know, they are part of this elite group 
that isn't distracted, that can see the truth, that has this deeper level of knowledge, you know, and so they will often even get to this point where they will just mock those who are part of this herd mentality, those who, you know, buy into the lies of the media or these the government or whatever. And, you know, if you are a fan of church history, you may realize that this sounds a lot like Gnosticism, which was a popular belief back when the New Testament was written. Um, and in its basic level, it was this idea that there was this secret knowledge that you could know. And those who had this knowledge would kind of reach a form of kind of elevation. It, it was a weird belief. But basically, it was all about knowledge. It was about knowing the secret things. And that's exactly what conspiracy theories do. And why was that a popular belief 2,000 years later? For the same reason that it's popular today. The idea that we have a truth that someone else doesn't makes us feel good. It makes us feel intelligent and above these other sheep out there. And so, really, whatever the conspiracy theory is, those who believe it will often do so simply because it makes them better than other people. It makes them smarter, more intelligent, more understanding. They aren't part of the others. They aren't part of the big group. You know, they're they're unique. You know, I remember growing up in high school, you know, you had the goth kids who would never want to conform to the world. And so, you know, they, they would buy in to whatever type of music or clothing would let them be apart from everyone else. And they would be proud of that. You know, that would be a badge of honor, you know, and we as people do that all the time. And, you know, I'll be honest, when I was growing up, I was into conspiracy theories, not in a really serious way. But if someone said, you know, oh, the government is doing this, or here's a new way to think about the Bible. You know, if you remember like the Da Vinci Code from decades, I think, ago, you know, this this new understanding, this new secret revelation about, you know, how, you know, Jesus had an affair with Mary Magdalene and things like that. Or, uh, you know, Jesus was the son of Mary and a Roman soldier. You know, we love these ideas. And why? Because it's different. It lets us feel like we have uncovered something new. You know, we're not part of traditional beliefs. You know, tradition is bad and negative. That's that's how we think. And so I and I think many people would buy into these new beliefs because if it was new, it was better. If it was traditional, if it was old, it was bad. It was part of those people that believe false things and just buy into it because that's what people have always done. And so we want to feel like we're paving new ground. We're blazing the way for a new belief. You know, we want to, you know, our minds have been unlocked and it's our goal to unlock the minds of others. Again, it all comes down to our pride. We want to feel that way. We want to be the new thinkers. We don't want to just believe what other people have believed because that doesn't make us special or unique. It makes us feel like we have to be spoon fed. It makes us feel like we're just part of the group and everyone's part of the group. No one in the group has a face. So we need to be different and new and unique and special. And ultimately, conspiracy theories give us that very thing. So we've talked about how we can filter conspiracy theories through a biblical worldview. We've looked at two pas passages of the Bible that can help us think about it. And we've looked at, you know, just kind of the basics of human nature and our sinfulness and our pride and our desires to help us get a better, more practical understanding of just why we in general fall for conspiracy theories. Now, if you're listening to this, there's a good chance that you may realize that without realizing it, you've bought into conspiracy theories. You may not have taken the whole apple, 
But if you've ever sat around and you've said, you know, the government's doing that big pharma, you know, they're out to get us. You know, if, if you've ever just sat and accused a group or a politician of doing something without proof, then you realize that, you know, a conspiracy theory is just a fancy term for gossip. And it's possible and probably likely that you're realizing you've done that, that you've been a part of that, that you are tempted towards it, you know, in whatever way, whether it's gossip about people in your church or people in Hollywood or in the government or what have you. We're all tempted to tear others down. And we do it, again, I believe, because it just it feeds our pride for one reason or another. It, it makes us feel good. We only, do, we only sin because we're convinced it's going to make us feel good. It's going to bring us pleasure or satisfaction. So as you're listening to this and as we're, I'm wrapping up, whatever reason you have for maybe buying into conspiracy theories and gossip in the past or being currently involved in it, you know, if you're seeing that it goes against God's will, if you see that God is opposed to that kind of thinking, that kind of tearing down of human beings, what do we do? As human beings, we're often scared to get off a path we started walking down. You know, if you've invested years into a belief system, if it's just a natural part of, of who we are, it's hard to stop. It's, it's so much easier to say, it's wrong, but I'm, I've gone this far in it already. You know, we call that the sunk cost fallacy. And I'll, you know, put my article to that down below. But what I would just encourage you to do, if that's what you're thinking, if that's what your mentality is saying is, you know, but I've believed it so much. I've talked to people about it. You know, it'd be embarrassing to turn away from it, to say I was wrong, to admit that we were mistaken. Boy, I don't know how much more I can talk about pride, but let's just say that that's pride. We fear looking bad in front of others. And so we will continue with something we realize is sinful, that we realize is false, because we can't stomach the idea of being wrong, of looking foolish. But just remember, there's no shame. There's no fear in recognizing that we're wrong. In fact, it takes great wisdom and great humility to say, I thought it was one way, but I realize it's not. And I'm going to embrace what I realize is truth rather than sticking with something that I want to be true or that I hoped was true. You know, because all of us have false beliefs about something. You know, as we grow, as we continue in our life, as we grow in spiritual maturity, we're all going to realize that there's one thing or another that we were just mistaken about, that we thought was right, but we realize is wrong. But it's how we react, how we respond to it that matters. You know, so, so if you're realizing that you've been involved in gossip, the number one thing to do is to repent. You know, God's word says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as I've said before, that's not just a verse for salvation, because John was writing that to believers. He was saying, you, you know, son or daughter of the king, you know, follower of Jesus Christ, God will forgive you for your sin. He will cleanse you from the unrighteousness of the gossip that you've been involved in, you know, because God's good and God doesn't fail us. He doesn't just get fed up with us and say, okay, that's enough. I can't forgive you anymore. You know, whenever we realize we're in sin, all we can do is repent confess it to God, turn away from that thing that led us into sin. Even even outright removing the temptation to revisit it. You know, if that means stop visiting certain websites or get off social media because people in our circles are sharing things that tempt us towards buying into gossip, you know, whatever it is, place holiness in a desire to love and serve God above all else. When we realize that something is wrong, when we realize it's sinful, when we realize that we're involved in gossip, the best thing we can do is to stop, to surrender, 
to let the Holy Spirit lead us out of darkness, out of sin, out of whatever prideful reasons we did that thing, and let him lead us towards peace and kindness and love and using our words for good and letting our minds be set on God, not on fear, not on wanting to control the world, not on feeding our pride, but instead letting our thoughts be taken captive by Jesus Christ and him alone to where no matter how good a belief may sound, no matter how much it may appeal to our flesh, if it's not uplifting, if it's not valuable, if it doesn't further our life in Jesus Christ and help us focus more on the gospel, repent, turn away, and just get back on track. Because Christ isn't abandoning us when we fail, when we spend weeks or even years in a false belief, but the time is now to repent. When you realize you're in sin, don't keep on going. Don't wait until you get tired of it. Just turn away. Turn to God immediately. Pray, repent, and take the steps necessary to protect yourself from straying again. Now, if you are someone who has been listening to this and maybe, you know, you've been involved in gossip in one way or another, I think we can all agree that we have. But if you know someone who is involved in conspiracy theories, who buys into all this stuff and who won't listen to what I assume is going to be at least an hour-long episode, you know, how do you talk to someone like that? I think the best thing that you can do is to lovingly correct and rebuke them, you know, to point out, just as I have, what God's Word actually says, you know, help them to see why it is that these conspiracy theories are so attractive, help them to, you know, account for the time that they spend on these false beliefs and not on the gospel, you know, but ultimately we aren't the Holy Spirit. We can't do the convicting of people. All we can do is lead them to truth. We can bring them to God's Word, but it's up to the Holy Spirit to bring that conviction. So if you have someone who is just really involved in these beliefs and, you know, you're not at risk for them leading you into sin with those beliefs, you know, if you are capable of speaking to them and listening to them and not uh, get drawn into their gossip, one of the best things you can do is just in love and in gentleness and, you know, by using edifying words, just bring them to truth, bring them to God's word. You know, help them to see more than just, you know, what people who agree with them are saying. You know, help them to see really who they are in Christ and whether that is being helped or hindered by these beliefs. But conspiracy theories are vicious things, and you may not be able to pull them out because, again, that's not your job. But if you've approached them with love, if you are praying for them, if you are wanting them to not just agree with you or to stop that thing, but if all you want for them is for them to just embrace truth, then at the end of the day, you're going to be successful in your desires because it's not up to you to change them. It's just up to you to approach them with truth and love, just as we want God to approach us that way and just as we want to think of ourselves in that way. You know, we want to call people to repentance, but we can't force them to repent. So however this episode applies to you, I hope it's been useful. I hope it's drawn you further into God's word. And even though I didn't get super deep into studying out particular passages, I hope that viewing conspiracy theories through a biblical worldview has been valuable to you, has helped you see that we don't just need to think of of these beliefs in the world in terms of what is right or wrong, but what is biblical and what is not biblical. Because ultimately, as Christians, that's what we desire most, is to 
take every thought captive to Jesus Christ, to let God's word be what guides us to truth and to filter all truth through God's word, accepting what seems to agree or rejecting what stands against it. And sometimes, as we've seen, it's not always crystal clear. So as you are you know, going into the world that is just filled with false beliefs and gossip and fear, the best way to protect yourselves and to protect those that you love is ultimately to be a good student of God's word, to be able to bring truth to people by bringing them to God, by bringing them to his word above all. Because as human beings, we are irrational. We are based in fear. But God's word doesn't cause us to fear or to be proud. You know, God wants us to release control and just to trust him. And so the more we are able to do that, the more we are protected from false beliefs, the more we are able to repent when we realize we're in sin, but also the more we're able to bring others along with us and to encourage them on their own walk with Jesus Christ. So that is the end of this episode on conspiracy theories. Um, I would love to think this is the last I have to talk about the topic in general. I don't, I don't love it, um, but it's important, you know, especially in the world today um, with elections being what they are, with the world being in the chaos that it is. I think it's a good thing for us as, as followers of Christ to discuss. Um, now, if you enjoy this ministry, if it's a blessing to you, if it encourages you or if it challenges you, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider supporting me every month. The link to that is down below. Uh, it will take you to a website called Patreon, where you can pledge to donate as little as a dollar every month. Now, the more you donate, the more kind of benefits you can get. Uh, if you give $15 or more every month, you can actually choose an article that I write about. If you are more of a podcast listener, um, I suppose I should add a tier for that, uh, but you could also choose a podcast episode. I'll get that worked out. I'm not sure what the level for that will be. But even if you don't support me through Patreon, I hope that you will at least pray for this ministry and pray for me as I really just desire to bring people to God's word and help them grow and uh, be encouraged and challenged in their walk with Jesus Christ. So with all that being said, I hope that this episode and this ministry helps you to continue moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.